0: Welcome to Your Divorce Planner Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B, certified divorce coach, event expert, and go-to gal for navigating the next steps of your divorce journey. I'm so happy you've tuned in for the tools, topics, and truth talk to start transforming your life today. I truly believe that with a powerful planning partner, you will heal the heartbreak and move forward faster. Without further delay, let's continue creating your comeback today. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We have a great show for you today. My guest, Susan Morrill, is an Ohio woman, just like me, whose nomadic lifestyle and big picture outlook have rewarded her with inspiring stories and enriching life lessons. She's lived and worked in various locations, including New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, Chicago, Park City, Utah, and Arizona, and she recently returned to Ohio to be near her family. Her roles have been included administrator, trainer, improvisational comedian, lay minister, life coach, motivational speaker, listener, and author. Her outlook has evolved to a simple philosophy: ask the wise to become wise. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about with Susan today. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh hi, how you doing, Heidi?
0: I'm great. I'm so excited. I have been excited since I met you just a short week or two ago. We met at a networking event. And Mm -hmm. I'm always really, really curious when people introduce themselves and say that they're writers, say that they're authors, say that they have books. And you not only have one book, but you have two books. (laughs) And the first one is called The Pleasure of My Company, Finding the Motivation and Courage to Spend Time Alone, which I'm obsessed with this title because so many divorced women are faced with navigating that alone time. And and we can dive into that in a little bit. But your newest book is called On Falcon Wings, a memoir sharing life's insights. So if you can, just to help our listeners understand, take Mm -hmm. us back a little bit so we can better understand where you've been. I know that's a loaded question, right? (laughs) And we're going to kind of pinpoint in the book. But but maybe a better question is, why writing? Why these books? Why this why now in your life?
1: See, you're asking the why. And that's that's kind of what I've my philosophy is about, asking those why's. Mm. Um, this book right now came because of COVID, actually. You know, when I was isolated, I was living in Arizona at the time, and I had all these stories and essays, and I pulled them out to say, well, maybe there's a book in here and it ends up all of them became the book because i saw when i started reading these especially when i read them in the order i'd written them over my lifetime so over 50 plus years of adult writing it's so on there's a story here that i hadn't even acknowledged for myself as to my evolution spiritually who i became as a woman that where i made changes and right decisions and wrong decisions. And as I was reading these and taking notes on it, I've always been a big picture thinker where I always stand back and look. I need to look at a whole map of a state before I figure out what city I'm in and where <laughs> I'm going. So I was doing that with my life. And I was I tend to ask those hindsight questions, those kind of whys. Why did this matter to me then? Why is, how is it affecting me now? So that's what this book became. It became me taking all that information, adding material to it to help my readers. I write very conversationally, as you probably noticed, because I want to engage my readers and what they're reading. And I want them to think for themselves. What I've lived and what I've come up with as a philosophy is mine, but it's, doesn't mean you all have your own and I, you should, you should acknowledge it and identify it and, and change it. If you need to, you can change your past, change your mind about it, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's where that whole thing came to that silly little phrase, ask wise to be wise, you know, yes. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's,
0: I that. mean, it, it captivated me truly. It was like, oh my gosh, because I'm, I've become a very curious person. I think I was always curious to some extent um, through childhood because I think that's a natural Mm -hmm. trait of children. But as I evolved into adulthood, I realized I had stopped or or I had really significantly reduced asking any curious questions. And we almost, I almost had the perception like if you ask too many questions, you're almost questioning someone instead of being Mm -hmm. curious, right? Like, But when you start doing it very inquisitively with yourself, you become better at asking curious whys with others and asking yourself the why, W-H-Y, and Mm -hmm. asking others those why in a curious way, not questioning way leads to the most beautiful conversations within and outside of yourself that allow you to create wisdom. The wise W I S E that you talk about. So I love your life philosophy. I had never heard it before. And I have gone through so much of your book. I couldn't stop reading it. I couldn't stop reading it. That's good to hear. The essays are really incredible. And it's easy to read too, because it's almost like so many short stories, but so many great golden nuggets taken away. So I really want to dive in and ask you kind of all over the place, because we want to ask the why's to help our listeners become more wise, right? And help them <laughs> help inspire them to ask themselves curious questions and ask others curious questions. So, one of your book essays titled Solitary Refinement. Mm-hmm. We get a we get this peek, this glimpse at your divorce. And yes. in there you wrote, how did I let that happen? Was it always like that? And I think this is a question that a lot of divorcees ask when trying to let our minds calculate how we find ourselves in this situation. Can you talk about your experience in this space and how you moved through it? Like, Because we we tell ourselves, how did I let that happen? Was it always like this?
1: Well, like anybody, you know, a lot of it is. When I thought about this and wrote this and I wrote it the day after I signed my divorce papers. So that's how I think I need to write down my experience of things. Mm. And what happens is when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the midst of falling in love with him and meeting him and getting to know each other, and then you decide to get married and you're going through all that. It's, and I describe it in that essay. It's like being in the middle of a forest. And that's saying you can't see the forest because you're in the trees, because of the trees. Yeah. So I think that's what happens. Uh, I'll talk about it as it happens to me. I'm sure it's similar to others. But I, I was lost in this force of being in love and starting a new life as a wife. And I was working. We were living in the New York area. He had moved over to America from Scotland. I met him in Scotland. And so I was, you know, I was getting used to it. And getting used to him and getting used to our relationship. But then he he was a drinker. And that came out over the few years after that. And this, I won't go into all the details about that. But it's just became the problem in our relationship. But I never talked to anybody about it. Mm. I just lived with it. And something that happened to me, what I asked, how did I let that happen to me? I found myself lying for him and covering up for him when he didn't meet clients when we didn't you know go on a social event we were supposed to do and it wasn't sitting with me but I was in the midst of it and I was in love with him and I was I I valued the marriage vows and I wanted it to work yeah over that time though eventually and I think the moment really really when it hit me was when He went home to Scotland to visit his family. I said, you better think about this. I need you to think seriously about this marriage because we were at that point. I went to a meeting with some other uh, significant others of drinkers and a new woman showed up and gave her story of, I've been married for 22 years to this alcoholic. And my mind went, 22 years I don't want to be with them 22 more days. And I knew then I'd already made that decision. He came back and wanted to get out. I gave him some months because he worked on it, but I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And the minute he went out drinking again, I was at the edge of the forest looking out again. (laughs) I was like, okay, it's time to move on. I can do this. Did it hurt? Absolutely. Yeah. Did I cry beyond it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you're giving up something you had planned on. But at the same time, I, war- I was shifted immediately into being the person I was before. The integrity was falling back into place. And I wasn't, you know, covering up for him or anything. You're on your own, pretty much. I love yeah. you. I just can't be with you.
0: Mm, that's so important. I love you. I just can't be with you.
1: Oh, absolutely! I even talk about that in there and in other stories about our relationship. That for me, it's all it, love is great, love is grand, love is everything we all say it is. But to me, it's not the most important thing. Trust is. I didn't trust him anymore. I didn't trust that he wouldn't drink. I didn't trust how I would be with him, and or anything. And I. That to me is more important. And I didn't necessarily like him anymore. I didn't like the drinker part of him. So if I didn't like him and I didn't trust him, love is, yeah, you can love, you love people you just meet, you know, you love chocolate ice cream. It's an overused word to me. Mm. It's abused when it's not used with sincerity. Mm. And I did not feel that love that needed to be there to keep us together. That part was gone. And I acknowledged it. I had to acknowledge it and say, that's it. We
0: truly can love and let go. I heard the saying one time that was like, what's right for me doesn't always feel good to me. Mm -hmm. And that really sunk in like, wow, sometimes what's right for me doesn't always feel good. It's painful. Sometimes the right thing for us is painful. Eat, whether yes. that's whether that's something as simple as maybe working out, right? It doesn't always True. feel great to lift those weights and you know push your <laughs> body to the edges and sweat it doesn't always feel great, but it's what's it's a lot of times what's right for me. It doesn't always feel great to go to bed at a certain time or wake up at a certain time, but it's what's right for me. But on that big love scale, like sometimes you can love something so Very much. And what's right for you can also feel really painful. And it's a very conflicting spot to be to go, well, if it doesn't feel good, then why am I doing it? Right?
1: Exactly. Um, Yeah.
0: There's so much value in asking the why questions. Like, why do I want that? Why do I respond or react that way? Why do I think that way? Why am I allowing that to happen? Why not? Right? What mm-hmm. are some why questions that you've given yourself over the years to maybe maybe gain, gain personal insight?
1: Oh, okay. um, I mean i'm I'm constant because like I say, I do tend to be very introspective and self-reflective, par- probably sometimes to a point of um too much. <laughs> I have to kind of step back from myself sometimes. You know, you're taking this too far. Don't dissect it so much that you have nothing left. You know, <laughs> but uh, so. But as far as asking the wise, I mean, I've made decisions in my life because the wisdom that came from this. And again, I didn't plan this. I didn't. When I was 20 years old, 25, I wasn't planning my life on. You're going to be introspective. You're going to ask questions and look at. It's when I put all this material together, the hindsight, hindsight is an incredible gift. If you use it right, it's looking back at it and then looking into it and coming up with the wisdom after the fact. I didn't plan all this. I didn't plan to, to come up with, you know, this wisdom or whatever. For instance, I have an inner voice I listen to now. This has evolved spiritually for me to where when I hear it, it's that gut feeling. It's that whatever inside of you, that self. For me, yeah. I call it my inner voice. Yeah. And when I hear or my soul's voice, when I hear it, I've learned to listen to it immediately rather than question it and everything. Yeah. And in 1998, I was driving i to work thinking of a vacation coming up. I was half a mile from my office, da, da, da. And it's in that split second when my mind went blank as I'm turning the corner, I hear my voice say, sell your house and things, quit your job and go west. Why? I literally, I literally looked in the rear view mirror to say, who said that? (gasps) And I heard it again. Sell it, quit it and go west. In the half mile it took me, to get to my office, I said, yes. And I I did it. It took me two years logistically. But I've learned to trust that because of other experiences where I've asked the whys. Now I had a shortcut. When I hear this, I know it's it. That's it. Mm. So the the asking and the introspective uh, stuff that I do has helped me get to a point where it's now habit. I don't have to think so much about it. There's new things coming up that I'll think about. But um, but for the most part, I can make decisions now. And for the most part, they're good decisions.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that so much. I And what I hear you saying as well is that a lot of times, because I know sometimes when people look back on things, they can get stuck mm-hmm. in stuff. But I think if we look back with the lens of learning, like that, a loving learning lens, a loving learning lens, because sometimes we can be really, really, especially when you're coming fresh out of divorce, you can be really hard on yourself and go, why didn't I do that? Why did I do that? Like, not that kind. You almost have to get no. yourself out mm-hmm. of the hurt and into the heel before you go back to digest and process at a deeper level what that meant for you and um, what that provided you, what that gave you. It's a, it's a lens of opportunity rather yes. than what you were robbed of type of a thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's so true. Uh, another word I, I use a lot in describing this process that I've I realize I do is detachment, and that applies to the whole idea of of the big picture. I try to detach myself and look at it at whatever I'm looking at, whatever decision or situation, and detach myself from the emotions related to it. Now, I about five years ago, I be, I became certified as a life coach, and what was interesting is when I was training for that, I realized. I'm not learning anything. Well, I'm learning some new things, but pretty much it's the same thing. I listen to my clients. I help them deep dive into what their situation. This is what I've been doing for myself all my life. Uh, and, yes. and, and in that training as a life coach, I came up with those, some of those realizations. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I detach myself. That's what I do. So it's, it's, again, it's not something I put a label on years ago. It's something that I've evolved to. Mm. Now, the other part of detachment is I'm also someone who meditates and I believe in the silence and the importance of listening to the silence. Yeah. And so when, You're especially fresh in in going through the process of a divorce or whatever kind of a detachment you're making, whether you're leaving a a job after a long time or a relationship, a friendship is breaking up or whatever. Whenever you're in the midst of it, allow yourself to feel it, first of all. Don't try not to. It's like when someone tells me I can't meditate, I can't get the thoughts out of my head. I said, don't try. Just let them flow by. And eventually, they'll just be like something on a river going by you. Well, the same has to happen when you're in the midst of this hurt where you have bitter feelings and all these emotions, anger and and worry and fear and everything. Allow yourself to feel those. Mm -hmm. But then slowly detach and watch what those feelings are doing to you. I'm an emotional eater when I'm feeling really upset. Are you working your way into the kitchen and nibbling? If you see pattern, this is the other part. It's patterns. When you look back, you see the patterns in your life when you detach and see them. And when you see those patterns, acknowledge them, give yourself permission to be in them and use them, but also decide which ones you are ready to let go of. And so that's what the whole real process is. It's about giving yourself permission to feel and, and experience the feelings and then saying, okay, your 10 minutes are up or whatever time you allot to it. Now it's time to move on. You're going to feel it again. and it, But when it comes up the next time, it'll be easier to let go of it. And you again, you pat it on the head like a nice, nice little boy, a nice little girl. Now go someplace else, you know. Or a little doggy, you're cute, but go away now. I don't need you right now anymore. And eventually, you'll go days and weeks and wonder, wow, I haven't thought about that in a long time, or I haven't felt that in a long time. It you have to give yourself permission, and you have to give yourself time.
0: It's really interesting. Uh, I wrote down a question to ask myself, just in all that you've shared, is like, what can you see now? What can you mm. see now? Because, like you said, when you're in it and yes. you're wrapping, you've wrapped yourself around the emotional aspect of it. When it's had time to untangle, untwine, and distance itself from you, what is available for you to see now? Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, that. I oh, just took- I
1: like that. I'm, I may. Miss- steal that i like that Amazing well you gave it to the me visual.
0: You, you gave it to me so there you go well oh, i want to really get into some of the details of your new book um okay. and the memoirs and life insights of on falcon's wings how did you get the title to this book
1: Okay, I've always loved the Peregrine Falcon ever since in the 70s. I read one of those gothic romance novels where the young girl, she's like an orphan and she goes and lives with a grandfather in Scotland. And I've also very drawn to Scotland, which is why I married a Scottish guy. Ah. Uh, <laughs> we won't go into a lot of that right now. But in the book one of the characters is a young man who uses the peregrine falcon to, and to hunt. And I was fascinated whenever it was described what I so I looked up. I'm on one of these, okay, I gotta find out more. They didn't have Google back then. So now I'm at the library looking up peregrine falcons and what, what is it about that? And I became fascinated with them. And I think they're beautiful. Mm. So over the years, I've just always applied that. And then in, in the early 90s. I was at a workshop where I had to come up with a metaphor for my relationship, a story for my relationship with my mom, who I was very, always very close with. And I came up with the metaphor. I'm the falcon. She's my falconer. Oh. She sets me off in the world. She's tra- trained me. She's done what she had to do as a mom. And she's let me go on my adventures around the world, country and stuff. But whenever I needed to. I can move back home literally or figuratively and be with her. She'd be there for me. Mm-hmm. She never shut her door or she was always there. Mm-hmm. She was my Falconer. So I knew I wanted when I was putting all this together, these are my stories. This is me, all these stories. And I wanted the word Falcon in the title somehow, because to me it was, I was, putting myself out into the skies. And when I put a book out there, you know, who reads it, reads it, what you get from it, you get from it. Um, I feel who needs to, it'll be there. That person will be there to buy it and my book will be there for them. Yeah. So the Falcon to me represents my way of getting the stories out into the, to the world.
0: Oh, that's beautiful.
1: Thank you for sharing
0: that. In um, oh, you're welcome. In in one of the first things that you'll see in your in this book
1: is uh-huh. a time,
0: it's a timeline of significant and spiritual oh. experiences in your adult life. Why right. is why is this important and how can it be beneficial practice? Uh, something that maybe others can do listening to this for someone who is on their own. Okay.
1: Well, first thing you'll have to know, I'm a very organized person. As much as I'm right-brained and like to write and have the words, (laughs) I'm also very left-brained. I love Excel documents. I love (laughs) creating them and whatever. So I had a minister offer me a a work, uh, an exercise once where she said, fill this out, starting from, you know, your beginning of your adulthood up to now, write down in a timeline the significant moments. For you spiritually, mm. Wh- whatever that means to you, whatever spiritually means to you, yeah, something yeah. you might have read, something you saw, a person you met, an experience you had where all of a sudden you shifted in your thinking or you had an aha moment. <laughs> well, I jumped on this. I created my Excel document and I did it. And I, I, this is introspection. This is looking at hindsight. When did this happen? Oh, that's when that happened. And then I met so-and-so. So that's what I created for myself from her exercise. So when I was putting this book together and saw all my stories and saw the threads that were connecting the different essays and poems and everything, I pulled this out and thought, should I put it in there? I mean, it's like one-liners. You may not know it, but as you read my essays, you'll say, oh, that's what she was talking That's She wrote that about that, you know. Yeah. So that's what that is in there for. To give a guideline, I would recommend doing it in whatever form you like to use, whether it's Excel or just handwritten or whatever. Because when you when you put it down, first of all, part of why I do writing, when I put it down on paper, I've detached myself a little bit from whatever it is, especially if it's something that's hard that I'm going through. I detach myself from any feelings and I'm able to kind of step back and look at it on the written page. But it's helped me go back and remind myself about things. So I recommend it highly to to the readers to do this kind of an exercise for yourself.
0: Yeah, you know what, it's really interesting, because uh, I usually save this question for the end of the podcast, but it's, I think it's popping up now, which is, um, I always ask, Uh what's one thing that our listeners can do to start creating their comeback today? And I love this exercise so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can throw whatever you want at that question. But the first thing that you said earlier in our conversation was write down your experience of things. Like Mm -hmm. I can't even remember all the things about who I was during my divorce, but I wish that I had written it down in those moments that I had them to go back to not necessarily relive, but better understand myself. Like Mm -hmm. it's almost like keeping that diary of these significant moments. But if you haven't done that, which I haven't, this exercise of uh, writing down those significant spiritual moments or those shifts in your life. I think that's a really powerful practice to know and grow yourself and and perhaps allow you to create this next chapter, which I call
1: your comeback.
0: What do you think about uh, kind of like an assignment
1: for our listeners to do? Absolutely. I mean, like, and I call it my spiritual journey and you can call it what you want. One of my essays is about, I love words. But I always get clarification. When I say spiritual, that may mean something else to other people. The point is, like you say, make a timeline of your experiences. Now, I've written journals. A lot of what my essays have come out of, I've gone through and reread my journals during that time. Mm. And I made some of them entries into essays. I thought, oh, Mm. this section's good. And if you didn't do that, if you didn't make note and write journals, when you start doing something like this timeline, if you have a big sheet of paper, put them in decades, here's, you know, here's my twenties, my thirties, my forties, and then start making notes. Don't, don't worry about whether you're writing that you're not a good writer. This is about you just putting your information. No one's going to see it. No one's going to grade it. Put the notes down. And what's interesting is, You've got all that information, all those memories are in your mind. Mm. You just have to go back and search for them. And sometimes what prompts those searches is by writing one thing and it leads to the next. Oh, and that also reminds me of the time I went here. And and you start thinking and start carrying notepads, write scribble notes and say, Oh, think about this. You don't have to write it out. But it really does the mind. We'll open up to you as you are willing to listen to it. The The memories are there. The stories are there. The lessons are there. That's the other thing. Look at them and say, what did I learn from this? Mm-hmm. What did I learn from Stuart and I? Stuart was my ex-husband's name. I don't think I said his name before. What did I learn from our experience together? Yeah. And. I've had people say, well, well, I'll, I'll share another little story if I can about this whole idea of my inner voice. Yeah. I'm living. We're living in New York and we're supposed to drive home to Ohio for the wedding over Thanksgiving weekend in 84. He was out all night drinking with his new buddies and stuff. I, He said, we're going. He's asleep in the car. I'm driving. And I'm, you know, I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm whatever. As we're getting into Pennsylvania from New York, I'm like. I hear that voice. And it says, because I could smell the liquor on him. And it says, This is the way it'll be with him. Didn't say marry him, don't marry him. It says, This is the way it'll be with him. Wow. And I knew at that point I could make a decision. Well, I don't want to be with someone who's if this is the way it's going to be, this isn't what I want. And you know, and so then as I'm driving my mind. Rationalizes, and what it boils down to is after about 30 miles of driving and thinking but I love him mm-hmm. and I married him now the question has been asked of me well if why why did you I said because I loved him at the moment now I'm not upset I don't want to go back to that moment and change it and not marry him
0: yeah
1: because because that marriage and divorce put me in situations and ways of thinking that prompted other parts of my life yes. that I don't want to change forever. Ooh. So it was worth it. Stewart's a good guy. He wasn't bad. He wasn't, he didn't mistreat me as far as physically. But you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. It's not worth it to try to change it. You can change the way you think about it. But I'm not going to not be it. I'm not going to go through and say, no, okay, let's go back. And I want to turn around and not marry him. No, I don't want to do
0: that. Yeah. you. I mean, you've been divorced. So you have your own Mm -hmm. experience creating your whole next chapter and really navigating a lot of this stuff. What would you say to somebody just stepping into heartbreak and feeling like they will be stuck in heartbreak forever? Because you have a poem.
1: In your book,
0: (laughs) the best within ends with the beast. Uh, beast, Sorry, the beast beast. within. Yeah, the beast within ends with the phrase: "Will the pain of losing him ever subside?" So my question to you is: Does it?
1: No, the the pain doesn't show itself as much. Ah, but but there's also a story in there because when I was gathering all this, I found that poem from 1974. And I wrote the story behind the poem. And I, I don't know if I if you've read that,
0: but oh, I want to ask you about this one. I I, I want to ask okay. you about this one. Yeah. Because okay. you want to ask first. Yeah, I really do. Because this one I, I couldn't believe when I read this essay in your book, The Beast Within, the story behind the poem, um, that it was something that actually has has popped up a few times over the past couple of years in my own personal life. And I couldn't believe that someone was writing it in a way that actually <laughs> felt relatable and felt like I didn't have to feel bad about it. So um, okay. it, this poem, the the story behind the poem, just so our listeners know, it's all, it, it's about what you describe as the love of your life. And yes. reading this made me think about some someone from my past Mm-hmm. that i too shared this love of my life experience with. He's not the man that i married. He's right. not the man that i'm dating, but i felt right. deeply connected to your explanation of this and it really helped me make peace with that relationship because one part of that hit me hard when you wrote uh-huh. you wrote this. When i say that he's the love of my life, i mean that the love we shared was so potent and has influenced and inspired how I've lived and loved all my life. It's a part of me that at its deepest, it's it's still a part of me at the deepest level. I wasn't discouraged about love because of its breaking up. I was eager to love again and experience the joy that that kind of love taught me was possible. And it was like, that was so permission based that it's okay that if you've had a deep love of your life and it didn't turn out to be your forever partner, you can still allow that to be a part of your being and let it teach you so much. So that essay was really powerful to my heart last week.
1: well, I'm glad it resonated that, that um, writing, cause I wrote that as I was putting the book together, That's that new, and I had to think about it and why, and, and, and to put it into, onto a, a store to you know, an essay, whatever was new for that was all new for me. So that was fresh. And as it just the way it ends that that essay ends, if he were to knock on my door today, I'd let him in. I mean, not for what it might mean, other than I don't hold a grudge. Yeah, I don't feel bad because if I hadn't loved that way, I wouldn't have known that kind of love was possible. When I fell in love with Stuart, I loved him, but circumstances didn't make me trust him anymore. Tom was someone I, did, I never fell out of trust. I never fell out of like. I never fell out of love with him. So that's why I consider him the love of my life. And so if someone's going through something and it's that fresh and they've told themselves, I'm losing the love of my life, possibly you are, but value it that you had it. Some people can't say that, first of all, or they want to deny it because now it's not working out the way they hoped it would. Don't give it a different title if it's not true now obviously there's situations where a divorce is happening because of uh, abuse or mistreatment or whatever I'm not talking about that obviously I'm talk- talking about where for some reason it's the compatibility just isn't there anymore yeah and you can't you're trying to understand why when I thought I loved him and I would forever and I value that we're you know the vows and stuff but it's not going to go away. The pain will be there. Like the the poem says, (laughs) but the pain is just there as because we're, we're not linear people. We measure time linearly, but we are not our minds can, I can have emotions today. I've wrote an essay in there about my mom and dad. Now they've been gone. My dad for over 40 years, my mom for over 30 years, but when I look up at a picture of them one day, I felt the ache in my heart from the as if it were the day they had just died. Mm. Because we don't, you know, just because time has passed doesn't mean the feelings are measured by time. Yeah.
0: So it's so true. I, I love to say to my clients when they're when they're going through some of these moments of healing that heartbreak is a reminder of what you're capable of.
1: And oh, yes.
0: It's yeah. okay to have remember ones. It's okay to feel sad that you're no, that they're no longer the same part mm-hmm. of your journey. It just means it was possible for you and worth it that you've still got that part of your heart that's working and willing Absolutely, and open up yes. to experience deep and meaningful sensations it, and continuing to do that. And, and it's beautiful when we let ourselves do that again because we can yes. then we step mm-hmm. into a space where we can <clears throat> attract more meaningful moments and people that are meant for us. And
1: Absolutely.
0: it's just so important. Um I don't want to forget to ask you a little bit about your first book, The Pleasure oh, of Company. Okay. The pleasure of the company. The pleasure of
1: my company.
0: The pleasure of my company. Thank <laughs> you. The pleasure of my company finding the motivation and courage to spend time alone. Was there uh-huh. a time in your life where you needed courage to spend time alone. How did you find courage and how do you create pleasure in your own company?
1: You know, that's interesting because, again, I'm going to use it over and over again, but it's it's the hindsight. I mean, I was... I was a firstborn child. I was used to, firstborn, we tend to be, I can be by myself a lot more. My so, my sister was a social butterfly. <laughs> so I was good finding, doing things on my own all my life. And then, um, you know, as time went on, I, I, was, I was traveling. I, I moved from Ohio to New York and stuff. And then from New York, I decided, oh, I'm going to go live in Phoenix. Arizona was cool. I transferred with Xerox and moved there. And I had a woman tell me, Oh, you're so brave to just do that. And I'm going, brave? I didn't consider myself brave, you know. <laughs> but I would hear this as, as I have moved around and everything. Yeah. And I had people want me to tell stories. You went out to dinner by yourself? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you so brave? You know, and I finally got to a point where a friend of mine had heard me tell some of these stories and the why's behind them. She said, well, you just please put those in a book so I don't have to keep hearing them. Just hand somebody a book when they ask a question. <laughs> so I did. Oh, my gosh. No, That's what the book is. It's basically the simple day-to-day lo- things that I realize I've gone to a movie by myself, yes. traveling by myself. Those weren't easy decisions, but I also realized what I would have missed up on if I had waited for someone to do those things with. Mm. And that's kind of where I realized that's the story for that book. You know, you've got to, you've got to enjoy your own company because I bring a lot to the table because of the stories I have from the things I've done. And that enhances my relationships. So being alone isn't about being a hermit. It isn't about being antisocial. It's about just valuing yourself enough that you don't need other company to keep you busy. That you should be value your... I write a lot about solitude. So as much as I go into how to plan a trip by yourself, how to go to classes by yourself, whatever that might be. And I, I it's a little workbook. I give the reader things to do and, oh, go watch this movie. It'll help you. Go read this book, whatever. But I also talk a lot about the value of solitude mm. as a place to be and to, you know, get in touch with a lot of what we talked about earlier, the, the things about yourself that'll help you grow internally and and spiritually and emotionally so that um you know so that when you do things you ha- you have stories i have stories to tell
0: <laughs> i mean you have so many stories to tell and and there's just two books so i i mean i'm sure you have so many so many so many more but you also had an essay about lessons of lifetime, what I've learned God. and what I live by. And I'm curious if you'd be able to just share just to, just maybe two or three of those, a couple of those, if, or anything that's coming up for you. It doesn't even have to be in the book. What are some of the lessons that you live by?
1: Oh. It's funny when again when I was putting this together, you know, I was thinking, well, what have I learned from all this? Because I said that's important. Yes, and I know uh, as I've gone through life, I've come up with little things I'll say to myself: "Less is more, Susan. Less is more." You know, and I, I, I actually believe that. I, I've, I've had to move, so physically, the less I have to haul, the, <laughs> more, the better. <laughs> I get rid of stuff. I, I don't like to clutter my life with things or excess or whatever. the uh, That's one of them, less is more. Yeah. So I declutter myself physically and emotionally and whatever else that might be for me. I love that. Another one. thing is, I've, I realize I don't allow myself guilt or embarrassment. Ooh. Now, it doesn't mean they don't show up, but the minute I feel one of those, I say, uh-uh-uh. Because to me, mm. embarrassment is... Me letting what somebody else thinks of me in a moment create how I act or react. Mm. And I've got to keep telling myself, no, what I think of myself in the moment is what matters. Now, we may agree, so I don't have to even be embarrassed. But I mean, and there's silly things. Oh, you trip and fall while you're walking down the street. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. No, you laugh about it some people get i've seen people get so embarrassed that they're ashamed almost and then don't even get me into shame because oh. that that's the worst part of it now yeah. the other part of that is the guilt guilt is about worrying again about how my reaction is to other people and 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 i don't want to be antisocial or not, i of course i matter what other people think of me but i don't want that to become what drives me
0: Yes. So
1: that's why I came up with that. I don't want to be a victim. And that falls into that same idea. Something I remember, oh, I don't even know where it started. It had to be in my teen years. I don't know where it came from, but I know I've had it with me forever. I don't want to be on my deathbed and wish I'd done something and I didn't do it. Yes. I want no regrets. So it's been buried deep in my psyche. No regrets. Mm. so when I wrote that book about things that I would do by myself for instance I wanted to go to Britain I wanted to go from two weeks I stretched it to a month well nobody could take a month off work or expense of it whatever and I'm thinking oh man I'm doing it I don't want to regret not doing it yeah. and from that not from that doing it I met Stuart and I have all those stories to go with it and everything. So. Um, one of the other lessons in that that uh, essay is listening to my inner voice, mm. and that that's always been important to me. Another thing that's important, and when we talk about the timeline, it's how I measure time. Time is we measure it by calendars and days and minutes, but I'm a spiritual person who realizes the universe doesn't measure things by that the way we do, humans. Right. The same is with abundance and money. If you find a penny on the ground, say thank you, yeah. whether you pick it up or not, because the universe has just given you some abundance. Yeah. If you say it's not enough, the universe may not give you again. Now, I know that's kind of spiritual woo-woo stuff, but it's it's so true, because if you re- realize that time and abundance are not measured the same on the big picture scale of how our lives are operating Mm. that you can let go of when something has to happen there's there's an old joke where um this man keeps praying to god oh i want help me i want to live the lottery pray god let me win the lottery let it win okay years go by he dies he's at he's up in heaven he's talking to god and god's he says to God, God, I prayed to you every single day. Let me win the lottery and you never let me win. And God's response is, I was waiting for you to buy the ticket. <laughs> you have to do your part. <laughs> you have to do your part. You have to do your part and then you let go.
0: Yeah. and You,
1: you let go and you be patient and you sit in the silence and you, you know, I, sometimes yeah. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm a controlling, organized person. So whenever I feel like I'm doing too much, I said maybe it's time to let go for a minute. You know, I've already bought my ticket. Now I'll just let the universe take do its part, and then it'll let me know when I have to take action again. Yeah. So oh. again, that that's that's kind of where I come with my lessons of my life.
0: Oh my gosh! I mean, and there's so many, and there's so much, and there's yeah. so more, and I we could probably do twenty more interviews and just talk about every single one of them seriously because. It's so good. And I really, really encourage everybody to go out and read the works and get connected with you. How can our listeners get more of you in their life?
1: Well, um, if you yeah read the book Uh, right now, I'm available uh, for local or whatever. I'd love to do um, book clubs. If you want to read my book for a book club, I'll come and talk to you. I'll I have I'm one of these weird people that doesn't have a fear of public speaking. <laughs> and I don't know where that came from because growing up, I was called shy until a friend of mine in my early 20s says, No, you're not, you're aloof. And I it created a shift in me, the power of shape changing my word to aloof. Yeah. To where I'm now very confident. And I I train, I do improv comedy. It doesn't mean I don't get nervous, but I love it. I love it. So I'm available for speaking engagements at your organization, your schools, whatever it is. I'd love to work with groups who want to learn to tell their own stories because Mm. we all have stories like I have. And you don't have to be a writer. No one's going to grade you. Put it down. Don't grade yourself. Just Mm. put it down. And if you need to, I'll help you write. Ooh, that's, that's,
0: I love that. I'm going to just loop back to the very beginning again, write down your experience of life, write down your experience of things so you can always go back and extract just these these beautiful pieces of it. I always end with two closing questions, which I would love to ask you if you're down. very quick, very easy. The first one is, what is one thing that you love about you?
1: Ooh. One thing I love about me, my positivity and now that's a little cliche, isn't it? Positivity. No. I love is. that about you. I love that about you. It is, but I think as far as me as my own best friend, how to be my own best friend was a book I read years ago too. Mm. Uh what I like about me is that I am I am Constantly wanting to learn and question and teach. I'm a teacher, and the other side of that coin is a student. Mm. But I've always kept those two roles, mm. no matter what job, what position I was in. What am I learning from this, and what can I teach someone from this? So mm. that's what I love. Yeah.
0: I love that about you, too. That's beautiful. And Thank the you. last question is what does joy feel like in your body? in your body. What does joy feel like?
1: Oh, I'm going to start giggling because that's it. It's laughter. It's, yes. it's just smiling and laughter and I get excited and I talk fast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Joy. Oh, that's yeah. so good. That that <laughs> makes me feel a lot of joy too. In fact, on my vision board this year, um, one of my things is I'm going to lift it up and read just what I wrote. I wrote, okay. have so much fun and keep laughing. Have oh, so much fun and keep laughing. And that's like the fact that I wrote that on my vision board is just like, it's very important. It. Don't forget. And when
1: you write it, it becomes, it's, it's going to become more truthful for you and you'll live it more because it's out there. You've put it out there. Oh,
0: absolutely. Well, we're going to give all of your book details and your um, how to connect with you and things like that in our show notes so people can reach out and get connected Mm -hmm. and have more amazingness in their life extracted from you. Um, Just want to say thank you so much for coming on here and for willingly just sharing so, so, little and so much about you in a short amount of time. We really squeezed a lot into a short (laughs) amount of time. And I know there's so much more. So I just appreciate you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to your listeners. And uh, yeah, when you got 73 years of stories to tell, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, but I've enjoyed the time with you. Thank you. Oh, what a beautiful gift.
0: What a beautiful gift. And to the rest of you listening and tuning in today, remember you are loved, you are worthy, you are enough. Go out into the world, shine your light bright and live a limitless life. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in. If you loved our chat or know someone who would take a quick screenshot and share it now, or leave a five-star review. So this message can reach the masses. Let's continue connecting. Drop me a DM at your divorce planner, or go to yourdivorceplannerhub.com to start coordinating your comeback today. You can even schedule a free connection call to dive into your desires and understand how partnering with your divorce planner will be a game changer for your next chapter. Tune in next week for another transformational topic. And remember you are loved. You are worthy. You are enough. Take care.